Hagen Bold, the show that talks about the journey of business development. I'm Cecilia Hageman Younger, and today I'm talking with Trevor Longino, the founder and CEO of Crowd Tamers, which is a growth and content marketing firm. Yes, ma'am, it is. Great. Um, he's a marketing expert, the guru of advertising and marketing to grow businesses, and a PR whiz. And he works exclusively or mostly with startups. So welcome. I mean, that is so impressive of what you do. Can you tell me a little bit more? Sure. Uh, so I've been a senior marketing type for about 20 years. I've launched, oh man, I've launched well north of 50 startups. And that's relevant because I say I've taken 13 million startups to more than 2 million a year in revenue. That is out of the 50. Uh, and the earlier like the further back in time you go, right? When I was newer at this, I think the worst my success ratio was, the more recent in time you get, the better I am at doing it. Yeah. Um, and by focusing on launching startups, and really my interest is getting startups from like $0 up to two or five or 10 million a year in revenue. Uh, I did that a lot as a uh, director of marketing, a VP of marketing, a CMO. And then after having done that for like 15 years, left to become a fractional CMO where you work for several different companies as their CMO. Uh, and then finally last year decided I, I, I can only do so much work in a given hour. And what I want to <laughs> do is help a lot of startups yeah. launch. So I'm launching an agency. That's my agency crowd tamers. Great. Uh, and so we launched uh, February of last year. And now here we are, there's seven full-time employees all over the world. And we have we between five and eight clients most months. Mm -hmm. Um, and my focus really is go to market, figuring out how to take an idea, prove it is worth investing in, and then scale it. Wow. I mean, it's impressive that you have, you're working worldwide or remotely. I mean, that's how we've come with the pandemic. I think it's yes. so nice that it is acceptable and people are embracing the idea. Of how do you guys stay connected? So we not... We're not a very meeting heavy culture at my company. I don't mm -hmm. particularly like meetings because if you are a, there's two different types of work in a company. There's the individual contributor work, somebody who produces something with a measurable output. And then there's the manager work, which is people who help everyone make their outputs work. Mm -hmm. And when you are a manager, your life is mostly meetings. But when you are a individual contributor, your life should be big blocks of time to do stuff. And if you have a bunch of meetings in your company, it shatters your capacity to do stuff as somebody who is both a maker and a manager, because I, whatever my team can't do, I must. If I know I have a call in an hour, it is really hard to start into something that might only be a 20 minute thing because I'm like, well, in an hour, I've got to drop it. Right. So I can't bring my head to focus. So if I, if your day has a bunch of those meetings in it, it's just ruined. So we don't have very many meetings at my company, uh, except for me doing all the sales calls and client work. Uh, so we, we touch base once a week. We do planning uh, on Fridays for what the week to come will be. Mm -hmm. and then twice a month, we do um, a social event where it's, it's 6 a.m. my time. Uh, but for <laughs> most, of my most of my team, it's later in the afternoon, their time. But during work hours. Uh, and it is we play some type of online game together uh, just mm -hmm. to have a little, a little less structure to formal where I'm like, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. Why are you late? Uh, a little less stressful than that. Um, and then everything else is done asynchronously, right? We communicate via Slack. We communicate via uh, a software called Notion, which is like part wiki, part task tracker, part document storage. Oh, okay. um, and and those, those 
two things power the whole business. And so I've had great luck, like anybody who's listening, right? If you're recruiting uh-huh. and you're not recruiting globally, uh-huh. you're missing out. Because I have really good people I've found, I mean, in Africa, yes. in India, in, in Europe. And I, I fill job roles for like relatively technical, hard to find people in it, no, I, I found that too. Um, I think going global is the way to go. They're, they think out of the box more, so have a different perspective. So that's wonderful. Um, you mentioned Slack. What is Slack? So it's an instant messaging app. You would think of it kind of like um, Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. Okay. But it is specifically for work. Like the Slack launched a decade or so ago. Uh-huh. And they're, for the longest time, their mantra was uh, they were out there to kill email because <laughs> the idea is it's it's faster communication than email, right? You send somebody yeah. a Slack message, it's like you send them an IM or a text message, uh, but a little more professional. And <laughs> so it, but it allows you to either communicate almost synchronously, right? You chat back uh-huh. and forth, or you can just dump a bunch of things. And then when they're online, they'll see them all and come reply. Uh, okay. I check my email once a day now, which... For some of my clients, they're like, what are you doing? Uh, but I'm on Slack always. So. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And I love how you're connecting with everybody you're working with uh, so that everybody is is really just um, centered on what you're doing. They're not really no. micromanaged. You no. tell them or they know the project, they work, and then you come together as a group which everybody needs that connectedness or you just fall apart. Yes. But that's, that is fabulous. Um, yeah, I've seen groups just, just dole out work and not really come together as a group and you just feel disconnected. Whereas you have the other side where you're micromanaging and then people just don't feel valued. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So now tell me about some of these companies that you've worked with. Like, what are the successes and what are the pitfalls and how did you, how do they overcome the pitfalls? So pitfalls are, there are an, an infinite number of ways things can go wrong, right? And a limited mm-hmm. set of ways things can go right. Uh, and, and part of what I do as a, somebody who runs this agency for go-to-market is I have identified some of the ways things tend to go right. In order to make a business work, fundamentally, you only need three things. You what are these three things? <laughs> a, a problem, okay. an audience, and yes. an offer. Oh, yeah. And if you have all three of those, you've proven that the problem is something that is painful enough. The audience is big enough and has enough money that they would pay for an answer to this problem. And then your offer uh-huh. persuades them that, oh, this is the best way to solve this problem. You've got, you've got a business, right? And until you've got all three of those pieces, you don't. So finding the right ways to test those three parts of an idea is what I have learned is crucial to launching an idea successfully. And when I started way back, like what the first business I launched would have been in, oh, well, the first business I launched was in 96 uh, because I was a high school freshman and I Uh launched a web development business. Oh, wow. Um, this is back in the wild and woolly days, right? This is almost before the first dot-com bubble. Uh, and I was a terrible developer. That's mm-hmm. why I'm not one now for a living. But like my, my first client was, uh, he wanted me to build a e-commerce website to sell his books online. Okay. 
They right. were Word documents because you there was no Amazon publishing. Right. Uh, there was no PayPal. I mean, PayPal was around, but I don't think like nobody was it? knew about it. Okay. PayPal was twenty years old, so I think so. Okay. But in '96, no, I guess they weren't around. Uh, you had to <laughs> you had to connect via SSO gateways through it. Like you had to write code on the back end to do all this by scratch. It took me yes. like five months, and it just barely worked. Uh, and and I, I think the guy paid me two grand, which was oh. like he got a bargain and except not because it was a terrible like everything was just barely stapled together. Uh, and there was I mean, I, I had found an audience, I guess. Right. They had a problem and I had an offer, but there was, none of those were like none of those fit well. I didn't have a way to acquire more users. Uh, right. I ended up then pivoting into design, doing actual like front end web design work for a while. That was okay. This was back before CSS when you still coded things with tables. Um, <laughs> and that idea of, okay, I can make some money with this, but how do I scale it? Like I was 15, it was high school side money, another recruiting. Yeah. But a lot of, even the, the early stage, those failures of one, I was bad at the job, so don't do it more. But two, I didn't have any idea how to approach <laughs> How do I get my second client? What do I do beyond right. this? Uh, continued to be things I would relearn at different sizes throughout the next 15 years. And uh -huh. that is like you, you, you make a mistake and you learn from it, hopefully. Uh -huh. But the thing that you don't always realize is there are a million shades of gray in any, what you think is a black and white situation. Oh, I did this wrong. I'll do it differently next time. Right. But the next time that same problem presents itself, it's not identical, usually. Right. And so we, we are a creature of habit, right? We tend to make the same mistake, just slightly different, right? The, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And so you will find you do the thing almost like the thing that was wrong, again, until you've done it wrong enough that you have a heuristic to identify, this is the category of wrongness, and how do I avoid all of it in the future. Right. That's tricky to do. Uh, building that pattern recognition is how you get experienced entrepreneurs. Like, man, how are they always successful? You don't see mm -hmm. all the wrong times that they, all the different varieties of the same mistake they made until they learned this whole category, stay away. So successes, uh, they're a little easier, right? When, when you have identified the problem, the audience, and the offer. Mm -hmm. It becomes much easier on any channel to make headway. I ran a PR agency for a while. PR, fundamentally, the story you tell in PR should be the same story you tell in performance marketing, right? In ads. Should be the mm -hmm. same story you have your affiliates or your partners tell for you. When you go to an event and you've got a booth, okay. all of these, it's really the same problem audience and offer just uh -huh. different channels to talk about it so success looks the same everywhere failure looks different all the time that's why it's Ooh. easy to screw up yeah very <laughs> so but then how do you recognize the um just the pattern recognition of something that you're doing wrong usually after, for me at least, right? Other people may be smarter. For me mm -hmm. at least, it is when things have, when I've screwed the pooch properly. Uh, <laughs> and something has, like you can have a sense of foreboding, but at least 
my, it drives my wife crazy. I don't tend to worry about things ever because I just assume that they'll turn out okay at the end. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they don't. And uh, getting things wrong for me is when I've reached a state of just, I realize it's, it's irreconcilably something is non-functional. Okay. okay. <clears throat> I cannot whistle my way through the dark anymore. This has just gone wrong. And how do I address what the mistake was? How do I think about how to get better at it next time? There's immediately, frequently, I go, life just screwed me. What can I do? There's no lessons to learn here. Ugh. And then six months later, I go, well, you know, you were not blameless here. You, you should maybe take on board, now that you're separated from the emotion of that failure, a few of the lessons. And then a year or two after that, I'll go, so what you thought was the lesson wasn't the lesson. And then five years later, I can look back and go, okay, but what you thought wasn't the lesson that wasn't the lesson also wasn't the lesson. And so as your depth of knowledge of just you, the world, the other problems, the patterns you should have identified gets more sophisticated, if you think about those mistakes you made two and five and 10 years ago, you can reframe them with the new patterns you recognize and go, oh, that's actually what I did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It does take some time to really figure out what you're doing wrong and just systematize it to actually translate into successes every time or more so. More so. More so. <laughs> I wish it could be every time. Yeah. You, you, you can't guarantee uh, success. You can guarantee that you'll learn, right? Yeah. Win or lose, you can guarantee you'll learn. And you lose more from... You win more from losing than from winning very frequently. That sentence makes sense. No, you learn more from losing than, than by winning. There we go. Uh, yeah. The, <clears throat> the being able to recognize success in the business sense is easy, right? Chart goes up, money goes in, more, right. more, more success somewhere. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Identifying the cause of failure is why you pay senior people more than junior people. Because the senior people, theoretically, have experienced enough failure to pattern match and find, oh, I've seen this before, and I know what's likely going wrong. It's why you have, uh, it's the old story where uh, at a huge electric power generating plant, the machine broke. Nobody can figure out why this big generator won't make electricity. Uh-huh. They, they call you know, the, the line workers. None of them can fix it. They call the manager. He can't fix it. They call the senior, like the CEO guy. He can't fix it. They've got a specialist. They know he's really expensive. They fly him in from, you know, across the country. He comes in, take a look at the machine, takes a little tiny hammer and goes, Bink, everything works. And they send him an invoice, right? For a hundred thousand dollars. And they go, can you send me an itemized invoice? And he goes, okay. And so $5, right? buying the hammer to go bink $999,995 knowing where to hit the hammer. And that's what you pay for when you have that very senior person is you're paying for all the mistakes they've made on someone else's dime. Right. I mean, you can also say that um, I, I like the analogy for saying that for people who are going into services and trying to justify their price, because it's mostly because of the thought process that's going through to identify whatever the service is. Um, 
Um, and, the, and it's just a little bit for what actually that you can actually see basically. Yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. I, the way I do go to market for most of my clients is through paid mm-hmm. advertising, right? Facebook ads, Google ads, Twitter ads, whatever. Uh, I am not the cheapest person to run ads on those platforms. I recently joined a mastermind of some, several other agency owners and masterminds are when you talk kind of openly and freely about the, the business problems you have. They're all CEOs and founders. Uh, I'm pretty lucky crowd tamers right now. We do between 50 to 80 a month. Mm-hmm. And these agencies are all around the same too, but they have 30 to 80 clients and I have five to 10. Mm, yeah. And they're like, what are you doing differently? And I'm like, well, I'm not, uh, I'm not just selling ad management, right? That is, it's a fungible good. And you can find somebody in a cheaper economy. You pay right. them 200 bucks a month to work five hours, 10 hours a week on your product. And they're pretty happy with it. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, look, I'm using the same tools everybody else is using, mm-hmm. but I'm extracting something different from them because I'm validating go-to-market approaches. I'm teaching you how your business needs to position itself to succeed. And I'm doing it very fast because by using these paid ads to do it, you learn things in three months instead of two years. Right. And that, that difference in time, think of the operational cost, not to mention the opportunity cost of having your funded startup, right? You've got 80 employees mm-hmm. and you haven't yet cracked go-to-market well enough to make the next round of investment. Yeah. And I say to you, look, you can know in three months or you can go broke in a year. What would you pay to not go broke in a year? A whole lot of money. That's why I'm able to charge more. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and I know I would pay much more just to be able to know what I'm doing sooner. Exactly. And not have that long transition of losing money and losing money and not knowing how to change everything. I I write about uh, an analogy of the wolf and and the rat. And when you are uh, trying to, you've got your startup, you're in, you're huddled down in defense mode, right? You're afraid of the wolf at the door. The wolf at the door is cash burn out. You go, I've got my little hoard of resources to protect. There's a wolf at the door. I keep it out. I don't Mm -hmm. spend money, but you forget about the rats in the basement which will eat all of your stored goods anyway. That's your hourly wage. That's time, right? And you will lose just as much or more to those rats in the basement as you will to the wolf at the door. And sometimes you're better off saying, here, have a steak, leave me be. Because you'll move faster with cash out than you will by just, if you just stay still and protect everything and never take a chance, eventually you go broke anyway. Yes, true, true. Yeah. So what three tips do you have for startups? What three tips do I have? Um, the, the number one cause of a startup failure, mm-hmm. like overwhelmingly, is not okay. lack of money. It is not product market fit. It is not investors screwed you. It is, it is none of these things. It is the founders couldn't keep going. They ran out of just energy and mm-hmm. ran out of attention. They burned out, they gave up. And frequently the cause of that running out of energy, burnout, giving up is you didn't have product market fit. You ran out of money, investors are hard to deal with, whatever. But 
if you can keep your focus, if you can have confidence, if you know what you're doing is working, it's much easier to retain the energy, mm-hmm. right? A long uphill battle, you'll eventually get worn out by it. But if you're going downhill, it's much easier. The focus then, when you are launching a startup or any new business, right? Even if your business is pressure washing sidewalks, you want to protect you as the founder, your ability to carry the energy forward. And one of the best ways I know of to do that is to know with confidence that what you're doing is going to work. Mm -hmm. So before I launch any new idea, I always, before I build it, I launch it. Right. So before I invest time and money in development or buying equipment or any of the, like whatever my business could do next, Uh I put together a website, a landing page. I send some traffic to the landing page and I see two people sign up. If they don't sign up, I might iterate a couple of times, try a different offer, try a different way to talk about it, different audience. If after three or four experiments, it's just nothing works, mm-hmm. leave it be, put it aside. There's never a shortage of ideas. There is a shortage of energy. You're way better trying an idea and leaving it and trying another idea until you find one that will work and you can push your energy behind and make it successful. That's one. Okay. Tied to that, when you are a new business, you as the founder have to hallucinate it into existence. (laughs) There's no reason why any business exists except someone believed enough that it should. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to believe counterfactually, right? Like, as I've mentioned I would give up on an idea that doesn't validate very well quickly, but without people who have unshakable belief, you don't have Airbnb or Uber, right? Both those ideas are ludicrous on the surface of it. Hop into a car with a stranger, go to your house with this stranger or leave your house with this stranger and all your luggage. So he knows you're flying and assume he won't rob you. Like everything about this sounds crazy. Right? Yes. And it's just how we all go around now. Uh, likewise, Airbnb, live in someone's random spare bedroom for a week. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? So these ideas don't validate. You can't test the idea and prove it, but they had this unshakable belief it needed to happen, and so it did. If you have that unshakable belief that your idea must occur and you cannot be knocked aside from it, the cost for you personally are higher, right? Because everyone's going to say, this is stupid. Give it up. Do something mm-hmm. else, right? Go run a grocery store, uh, whatever. Having There are very few people who have that level of unshakable confidence. If you do have it, you need to find the right way to tell your story to others to get them to join you. Because that's without other people joining the founders of Uber, the founders of Airbnb, or the founders of Slack for that matter, which we talked about earlier, for about mm-hmm. five months, the company had no one was be no one was paid. They were all volunteer because they ran out of cash. And they still managed to keep going long enough to get funding eventually. Oh wow. Uh, because they had belief. They had the founder was convinced mm-hmm. this must happen. And he brought a team along with them. Finding the right way to tell your story 
internally is crucial, mm-hmm. right? Bring people right. along with you if you can. Uh, and then the last one I, I would offer as a tip is in the early days, early days of a business, you must do things that do not scale because you don't yet know how to scale them. Uh, I'll give an example, right? Everything my company does right now, we are fairly process driven. When I test an idea for a client to say, how do we go to market for you? I know the sequence of nine different things I'm going to do. It's all documented. All my team knows how to do it. And as I documented it, now I can hire a team to do it. Before then, I had to do all of it. Before I knew the steps well enough to document them, it was just me. And right. I would work you know, 80, 90 hour weeks, right? Delivering mm-hmm. stuff for clients. In the early days, you just have to grind out the creative part so that you can build the system that then somebody else can take and run. Most founders have a million ideas in their head and their struggle is, how do I get someone else to take a piece of this away from me? Whether you are running a tech-based startup whether you're running a, uh, a food truck or a dry cleaner business or whatever, right? The founder does everything and eventually must portion him or herself up into individual things to hand away. Right. The way you were able to do that is by documenting things, even when it's just you and you feel stupid. You're like, why am I writing a checklist <laughs> for how to do something I know how to do? Right. And the answer is twofold. One is, so you can hand it off. And two is, so you can identify how it can be better. Because by like, if you're doing, I work a lot in software, so it's easier for me to say this, but you can also do this in in physical work as well. Video yourself doing it, either do a screen recording, right? With zoom or take Mm -hmm. a, a camera, put it on the wall and watch yourself do it. And just look at how many times you went one, two, five, six, eight, Three, nine, 10, 11, 7, 12, 13, 18, 15 in your order, right? Because you just assembled together this hodgepodge of how to tackle things. And then as you look at your execution of it, you're like, this is extremely inefficient and it makes sense to no one. Okay, yeah. well, you've documented it now. You've watched how haphazardly you do it. You can begin to build yourself a better process and you're ready now hand it off. One of the core cultural tenets at Crowd Tamers is if you do it twice, write it down. Because if you do it twice, odds are you're going to do it more than twice. And having that process written down forces you to understand how to do it, forces you to find a way to do it better. And as you are improving your own processes, you're freeing up your own time. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that process very crisply defined, you can find someone else to do it for you. Oh, okay. Wow. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Um, And I want to thank you, Trevor, for coming on to Being Bold. Uh, Yes, ma'am. Everything that you said is is so helpful um, for me as well as listeners. Um, It's just so practical. And especially the writing down, because so often I, I find myself like, yeah, I should have written that down. And just to pass off to somebody. And so, yeah, it's validating. Yeah, I should write it down because it does seem absurd. But yeah, it is so, um, I mean, it's great advice. So 
So thank you very much. And thanks for listening to Being Bold. I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to put uh, Trevor's information in the chat and uh, feel free to shoot me an email. Love to hear from you. Uh, it's at Cecilia at beingboldanddriven.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Cecilia. Bye. Bye.